0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me, Ephesians chapter 5. And once you found that, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning, and we're going to start in that eighth verse of the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And it reads like this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our time together in Sunday school, our time of fellowship, our time of singing, Father, and and now we ask that you direct our hearts to your word. For today, the most powerful thing that will ever take place in our life today is to see you for who you are, to see us for who we are and to realize you loved us anyway and that you did make us children of light because of the light of this world, which is Jesus Christ, your precious son. So this morning, Father, focus our attention completely upon you. Let us hear your voice as your word is proclaimed. Make very little of me and very much of you. That you may be honored and glorified in this place today. This we pray in the name of your precious Son and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated. If you remember last week we were talking about ending our discussion last week on... The comparison, the comparison of darkness and light. We talked about the fact that darkness comes from the Father of darkness, which is Satan, and light comes from the Father of Light, which comes actually from light, and that light is Jesus Christ. He said that he was the light of the world. And therefore, if we have him within us, we too should be the light of the world. And the light should grow brighter each day that we walk with him, not dimmer. We used the example last week where Jesus Himself said that he was the light of the world, and if we are the light, we don't take a light and place it under a bushel basket we take a light and we set it on the hillside that that light may be seen by those who are in the valley of darkness and be led towards this cross of Jesus Christ by the light in our life each day that we walk in this world our light should shine upon the path that leads to the cross of Jesus Christ For there's one thing I've recognized in the last few weeks in dealing with the number of families I have and the death that has happened in their life. There is a whole host of folks that live right here around us that need Jesus Christ. There is a whole host of folks that need to be led to the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, see the fact that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, that their sins may be washed clean and they too may become the light of the world. For us, the only way that they're going to know who the light of the world is, is to see the light in us. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians. We, yes, have a worthy walk. And that worthy walk shows up in our life by the fact there is this light burning. Church, I realize that I'm speaking to many folks this morning who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I realize that. You can tell that when the troubles happen and snow falls outside and the roads have the possibility of being a little icy that there are those who don't make it to worship God. I never use that as a judgment factor, but I do know there are a bunch of you who did make it to worship God. And there's a reason. There's a reason you're in this place this morning. You have a divine appointment with the Almighty God. Many of you have a divine appointment with your Father because you know Him as Jesus, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are intimate with His Son, therefore He is your Father. You're here this morning because you need a little oil added to your lamp. And you need the wick trimmed a little bit so your light continues to shine bright. I realize the multitude of the ones I speak to this morning fall in that category. Because you've overcome what could have been an excuse, a viable excuse as a matter of fact, to, to not come. But this morning you chose to be here because you love Jesus Christ with all of your heart. I also realize there are those here who love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, but if you look at your light, it is not as bright as it was at one time. There is a point in your life right now that you realize, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I am so glad I'm not standing before him this morning because there's a lot of things I'm going to have to answer for. This morning I have good news for you. You can have your lamp brightened. You can have the oil of the Holy Spirit poured in your lamp and your wick trimmed. This morning is the opportunity to leave this place being a bright and shining light in a world that's dark. We saw the comparison between darkness and light over the last couple of weeks from the Word. Yet I also realized this morning there are some here that are seeking to have your lamp lit for the very first time. I never stand in this pulpit and think that I am preaching to a bunch of folks that know Jesus Christ. I always stand in the pulpit realizing that within the sound of my voice, more than likely, there is someone who does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if today God chose This day to be the appointment that you had with death. You would spend all of eternity in a place called hell. And it's in that place called hell that it is called utter darkness. There is no light. There is no Jesus. There is no hope. This morning I beg of you that you see Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. That you allow him to come into your life and turn your light on. Today, we're going to move from the comparison of darkness to light, and we're going to look at the characteristics. And I warn you up front, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Oftentimes, when we talk about the characteristics of what it means to be a Christian, those who don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior are able to check off some of these characteristics in their life and say, See, <laughs> I have those. But it's not about what the characteristics are. It's about why. Those characteristics are in your life. It's not about the act. It's about the heart. And this morning we're going to look at as he starts there in the ninth verse when he says the fruit of the spirit is. Well, to to have the spirit means you must first have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To have the spirit in your life to bear any fruit whatsoever, you must first and foremost have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So he's starting from the point of assumption that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he says, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if he is your light, and he's, as he's saying coming out of verse 8, he steps now into verse 9 and says, if he's your light, there's going to be this fruit. Anytime we talk about fruit, it always uh, makes me reflect on the fact that people say that uh, the church is way too judgmental. That's the church's problem. They like to judge people and look at people and they're not the judge. God is the judge. And I say, you are absolutely right. God sits on the throne wearing the robe and the wig and he holds the gavel. God makes the decision of whether you spend your eternity in a place called hell or you spend your eternity in a place called heaven. He is the judge. He also has said we can judge. Whether or not you're ready to stand before him as he raises his gavel by the fruit that hangs upon your tree. We can look and see. I'm not going to look at your fruit and judge you to a place called hell because there is no fruit. That's not my job. But if I look at your tree and there is no fruit, I'm going to share the gospel with you with all earnestness. As one great preacher said, if you are going to go to hell, you're going to have to leap over my body and you're going to have to break the grip of my arms wrapped around your legs because I'm going to do everything within my power and within the power that God has placed in me in his Holy Spirit to get you to understand your need for a Savior. And so as I look at this thing saying fruit this morning, I realize now he's turning a corner and he's looking at the application of these words in our life and he's looking at these these characteristics. See, Paul not only compares what we were when we were darkness and what we became when we were light, but he goes on to tell us what those characteristics look like in our life if we live out the light that's been placed in us by Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Paul gives us three characteristics of walking in light and I hope you don't think there's any way possible we're going to see all three this morning so don't get ahead of me let's just look at the first one the very first one that he brings up there in verse nine he says for the fruit of the spirit is all goodness all goodness goodness can be thought of in a couple of ways goodness as we think about it as we talk about it as we think what is good we can think about goodness in two different ways when we say something is good we can mean that it's good to accomplish a job for instance, if we were going to go out in the yard and we were going to dig a ditch across the yard, a shovel would be good. But if we had punk or somebody bring over a backhoe, that would be goodness <laughs> because that's what it's designed for. It would be better for the job. So we think about something in, in that aspect. We think about it being good to accomplish a, a job. We also think about and I hear many of you talk about and and we actually have a person in our presence that builds furniture and does things Um. We think about an item, if we go to buy it, we look at how good that item's been put together. What's it made of? How good is it? We talk about the goodness of the product by what it's built out of. That's kind of in the same theme of thinking about goodness. I myself, my favorite way to talk about goodness is talking about something tasting good. See, you don't get to have a figure like mine not thinking things taste good and eating a bunch of them It's difficult to keep up a body like this. You know those guys that are skinny and work out That's one thing, but you want to try to keep up this body. You're gonna work way harder than working in a gym (laughs) But we think about when we look at something, don't we we walk up to the buffet and we're walking along the buffet and we look and go I'm not sure that tastes good I'm I'm gonna move to the next thing and hopefully by the time we get to the end of the buffet What do we have on our plate? The things we think taste good. So when we talk about goodness, we can look at goodness from that angle. What, what is the thing? What's it good for? How well is it built? Does it taste good? We can look at all those things when it comes to goodness. And, and what we're really doing is we're thinking about goodness intrinsically. You know, Jesus actually addressed uh, goodness in, in that aspect in the Bible. He talked about, matter of fact, in Matthew... Matthew chapter 3, he talked about goodness from the angle of our works. And in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10, he says this, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every good tree which, or every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus himself, when he talked about goodness, talked about it from that works aspect. But let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody who you could say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet, does good things? I absolutely can. The greatest argument I ever have when I'm talking to a person about Jesus Christ, when they want to tell me (laughs) where they stand with God, what do you think the one thing they always bring up is? The good things. The good things. If you'll stop and think, I'm sure you could run through a thousand things you've seen in just the last few weeks of the act of goodness but yet it was from a person who does not know the god of goodness. So even Jesus himself then spoke about the fact that there was this goodness in works. Over in 1st Timothy, over in 1st Timothy there's a whole another uh, a whole another type of of goodness that is is mentioned in 1st Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Verse number 4, it talks about just the fact that God's creation is good when it says this, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. What did God say when he made earth? (laughs) The end of every day. What did he say? It is good. When he made man on the sixth day, he said it is very good. See, when God made creation, he made it good. It, here the writer of First Timothy is telling us, reminding us of the fact that, that goodness can be looked at as being intrinsically good in creation. But then there's another type of goodness in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It talks about this moral goodness in the 33rd verse when it says, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You know what comes next. We've told it to all of our kids. Anybody who's ever raised a kid has used this verse in one form or another. Because the next thing that's said, evil company corrupts good habits. Haven't we all told our kids that? Watch out who you hang out with. Because whoever you hang out with, if you're not careful, you're going to be just like them. I've said many a time when talking to a person who's, who's come to the church and has not broken their bond of those things in the world, those friends that they've had in the past, have not separated themselves. I've said, look at who you associate with. Because five years from now, that's going to be you. Five years from now, you're going to look like who you associate with today. Is that saying don't spend time with the world? No. How are you going to share the gospel with someone you never talked to? But be careful where you get your direction. Be careful where you place your bond with friendship. Be careful who is in your intimate circle. Look at Jesus. Even though he had 12 that followed, how many were intimate? See, even Jesus, within the group of those who followed him on a daily basis, only really poured out his entire heart and let the... the love that was in his heart fall upon a small group. Even Jesus understood that morally we have to watch out for goodness. So those are all ways that you could think about goodness. That's really just one form of goodness and that's the intrinsic form. When you're thinking about the works and creation and morals and and the things around you. Yet, (laughs) that's not the goodness that Paul uses in Ephesians. All of that was said to say this, that's not even what Paul is talking about when he says goodness. For that type of goodness is a totally different word. Here Paul uses a different word for goodness and it's a, it's a word that takes goodness to an entire different level in our, our life. Here whenever Paul says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all, agathasune. Agathasune is the word that he uses. I hope the first part of that word rings a bell with you. Aga. Aga. There's another word that's connected to that that kind of helps you understand what this goodness is all about. (laughs) That word that is connected to that is agape. Agathosune and agape are connected. Agape, we realize, is the type of love that Jesus Christ showed. It's that type of love that is all about giving, not looking for anything in return, not looking for an exchange of anything, and it's an all-loving that is given... That is a sacrifice. It's a sacrificial type of love. And we see that in the picture of Jesus Christ hanging up on a cross. When John 3.16 said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When it says God so loved, it's God so agapaged us that he killed his son upon a cross. See, the love that Jesus showed us cost him his physical life. It cost him Coming from glory here to have the sins of all of us poured upon his body. And see, whenever Paul says in Ephesians 5, 9, the fruit of the Spirit, this fruit of the Spirit is in all. Agathasune, he's bringing into mind this picture of sacrificial love. Now, you can't really apply that to the works or the creation or the moral type of goodness we talked about, can you? It opens up an entire new realm for us. See, this goodness finds its highest expression in that which we're willingly and sacrificially doing for others. See, this type of goodness should cost you. If you raise your hand and say, yes, I'm always being good to people. I'm giving them five dollars when they need it. Yet your bank account is six digits. Just how much did you sacrifice? When's the last time that you were so good to someone that you were wondering if you were going to be able to pay your light bill at the end of the month? You see, when he talks about goodness, he's not talking about the penny annie things that we do. He's talking about the all-in goodness of a life that is sacrificed for the love of Jesus. See, what he talks about this goodness, he takes us to an entire different level. It's the goodness that comes from the agape, the agapeo of our life. He tells us over in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, he says this. See that no one renders evil. For evil to anyone. He starts off this 15th verse of the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians by saying, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Let me ask you, before we read the rest of that verse, how often do you see our world rendering evil for evil? Matter of fact, they even try to make it biblical. Do unto others as they do unto you. <laughs> That's over in 1 in Philip or something somewhere because it's not in the Bible. But they try to say, the Bible says we should do unto others just as they do unto us. But you think about, what if Christ had have said that? What if Christ on that Friday... As he was carrying the cross down the street, as he had it across his back and he was walking down the street and the people lining the street were shouting for him to be crucified and they were spitting upon him and they had beaten him so badly it was unrecognizable. What if as he walked down that street, he said, you know what? I'm going to do unto them as they have done unto me. And he takes that cross member and slams it down in the street and takes all the power that was within him and wipes them off the face of the earth. What if he'd have chosen to give us what we gave him? (laughs) That wouldn't have been goodness, would it? See, in one sense it would, because God had every right to do that. He had every right to do that. Because his creation that he made to honor and glorify him were willing to kill his son out of hatred and their love of sin. And it says here, that 15th verse, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But then he follows it and says, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. He tells us there in First Thessalonians, the goodness that is, that is the goodness that is talked about in Ephesians. That goodness is that goodness which blesses others. See, this fruit of goodness that hangs on the tree is the goodness that blesses others even if it costs us everything we have. How much different would the world look at the church if the church was giving everything it had to bless others? How different would the world look at Jesus Christ if those who carried the name of Christ were giving everything they had for others? And I know the argument. I know the argument it just ran through your mind. Well, if they're too lazy to get up and work, why should I give them anything? They have the same opportunity that I have. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. So why even share the gospel with them? Aren't you glad that the person that shared the gospel with you didn't say they've had every chance? I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. Jesus is mine. They don't deserve Jesus. What if the person that told you that Jesus died on a cross for your sins had decided you weren't worthy? Where would you be today? Where would you be the day that your appointment with death came? You see, God has promised in his word that if we do that which he has called us to do, we will lack for nothing. Nothing. Why? Because he said he will open the windows of heaven and pour out upon us all the blessings that are contained therein. It says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It says the God of creation is the God who also sustains us. We have the faith to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that we might have eternal life with him in heaven forever for all of eternity. Why, church, don't we have the faith to believe that Jesus Christ will supply all of our needs? See, he gives us what he gives us, for the purpose of sharing his glory. I've been with many a family here lately that had very little if any connection with us here at this church and there's been a resounding theme that has come out of every one of those opportunities that I've had to be with those families and minister to them and share the gospel. There's been one resounding theme that should make you realize that your light is shining bright and you must be careful that it doesn't go out. That resounding theme is pastor I have no idea why your church did what they did but we're so thankful they did it. See, it's amazing to think, because even I was a little scared the number of times that we've had to reach out and do things here in just the last few weeks. I was a little scared that maybe we were getting overtaxed. Yet when I see a person look into my eyes and, and I know that they've seen Jesus at work for the very first time in their life, I'll stand in this pulpit and ask you to give again. Because it's that sacrificial giving that shows the goodness of the God that we serve. You see, it's this goodness that comes with the feeling and the control of the Holy Spirit. The feeling and control of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. It starts off and it says this love. That's the agape. That's sacrificial love. It says joy. That is happiness that is centered in God's unchanging promises. That's how you have joy in your life. From there it moves to peace. The peace is the inner serenity that comes. That inner serenity that comes in the confidence of your saving relationship. With this man named Jesus. It moves from there to long suffering. Long suffering really is patience. And it's patience when even you are wronged. It moves from the long suffering down to kindness. Kindness is when you have concern for others. Shown by a willingness to love them as Christ has loved you. From kindness it moves to that word goodness. That word goodness that Agatha Sune. It says spiritual and moral rightness that leads to showing kindness to others. It's not the act of kindness, hits that spiritual and moral rightness that leads to showing the kindness to others. From there it moves to the word faithfulness. Faithfulness means being trustworthy and loyal, both to, to God, because He is faithful, trustworthy and loyal, but being faithful and trust loyal to those that you promise things to. From faithfulness, he moves to gentleness. Gentleness, we know, is the word meekness. We talked about that, this meekness, which is being humble even when someone offends you. It's not retaliating. It's showing that love. It's From there, he moves to the word self-control. Self-control really means restraining your physical desires and following the desires of God. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in our life. How is it evident in our life? It shows up in our relationships with others. See, God being present in your life shows up in your relationship with others. What's missing in the church today? Relationship. It's not relationship with God. We have people getting saved, joining a church, doing things all the time. What's missing is the relationship with each other. Because the Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. That we are to stand next to our brother and hold him accountable for those things before God. That we're to be there when our fellow brother and sister stumbles in Christ. Not to rebuke them, but to restore them. We're to be there when there's pain and suffering in a person's life to share the goodness of Jesus Christ. You want to know why there are people leaving the church on a daily basis? It's because there is no relationship. The relationships have fallen apart in the church. We were talking in our Sunday afternoon Bible study just the other day about how much we all miss those Sunday afternoon times together. We used to go to each other's house. We used to go on Sunday nights and spend time together. We used to meet during the week to eat and just talk about what God's done in our life. And see, it's in those relationships that the opportunity opens when something goes south in your spiritual walk. For a person that's been eating with you, spending time with you, having joy in your life to also speak into your life. And say, brother, I see where there's something starting to slip. It's kind of hard. Isn't it kind of inconvenient? Isn't it kind of cumbersome? To walk up to someone you may know by name, but you've never spent any time with and say, I don't think you're doing what honors God the most. Yet when you've been a part of a person's life and you've cried with them and you've rejoiced with them and you've talked about God with them and you've broken bread with them, it's relatively easy to speak into a person's life the love of Christ. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about this goodness, this goodness in our lives. So church, I ask you this this morning in closing half of the very first point about goodness. Where do you stand with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Is the fact that you know him as your Lord and Savior shining so bright in your life that there are others around you that are attracted to Christ like a moth to a flame? And if the light is burning bright in your life and there are others attracted, what is your relationship? Not only with those who are coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, what is your relationship with the person sitting in the pew next to you? What is your relationship with your pastor? With your Sunday school teacher? With other Christians? If you want to see the church grow and flourish and be a shining beacon in the world for Jesus Christ, let it start in the pew. Let it start between you and the one sitting next to you in the pew. Let it start with that one that's sick at home and you take your time, which is inconvenient. I know if nobody else in this building knows I know the sacrifice of having to go. Having to go spend time with someone when there's other things on your plate. I know the pain of getting a phone call in the middle of the night. And you have to drop everything you're doing to go. Is it convenient? No. Is it fun? No. Do I enjoy it? Absolutely not. Do I know what I'm going to do when I get there? Absolutely not. But you know what I do know? That that person needs to see Jesus Christ and God had him call me so I'm going to go. I'm going to go because they need to see Jesus. When's the last time your heart was so broken, not only for the lost, but for your fellow brother in Christ that you inconveniently gave of your time to speak Jesus into their life? Maybe it was just a hug. Maybe it was a phone call or a note. Maybe it was a stop by the house. When's the last time that you so wanted to see your brother in Christ lifted up and their light shining so bright that you gave of yourself sacrificially for that to happen? God's speaking to you this morning. I know it. I know God's speaking into your heart because there's no way you could hear a passage like this and your heart not be stirred for those sitting around you. So this morning, as the invitation is given, I'm going to ask you this. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come. It's very simple. The gospel is very simple. There's nothing complicated about the gospel. The gospel is, in Romans 3.23, that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. That includes everyone in this building. That includes the pastor. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were made to glorify God, and if we've fallen short of doing that, we have sinned. You don't have to break all the commandments. You only have to break one. The Bible says if you break one, you've broke them all. We all have broken God's law. We all have sinned. It also tells us within the Word that the wages of that sin is death. Death means you have eternally separated from Christ in a place called hell. Where there is gnashing of teeth, there is weeping, there is darkness. You will never know the love of God for all of eternity. Thank goodness that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that gift comes through John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in what He did for you upon the cross will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that how do you apply that in your life? You reach back 2,000 years and you believe in what Christ did for you. You believe that within your heart that he not only died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb and the power of God raised him from the tomb that you might have eternal life forever in a place called heaven in the presence of your creator. You believe that with your heart and then you confess that with your mouth. For with the heart comes belief, with the mouth comes salvation, the confession of the mouth. And that's what it tells you in Romans nine ten. So how does that work out in your life? You must recognize yourself as a sinner. You must say, God, I did it. The devil didn't make me do it. I chose. I realize it's wrong, and I want forgiveness. I realize that forgiveness comes through the blood that flowed from your son's body on that cross for my sin. And I want to accept him as my Savior. And then you realize that he rose from the dead, that he might be Lord of your life, a living Christ in your life. You say, I not only want him as Savior, so that I spend eternity in a place called heaven, but I want him as Lord of my life so that I can share that light with others. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, you come, and I'll help you understand that. Maybe this morning you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you realize within your life right now, your light's flickering. How do you solve that? God tells us in 1 John one nine that he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of all of our sins and to go on cleansing us from all unrighteousness if only we will ask for forgiveness. You know what dims your light? Sin. Sin will turn a light out in a Christian's life. Unchecked sin will run rampant until the oil dries up and the wick stops burning. This morning, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you don't believe your light is shining as bright as it should, I have great news. You could fall on your face at this altar this morning and you can confess to God that which he already knows about you. You can confess that and He's already promised that if you'll confess it, He will wash you white as snow. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you Sin.